Girlfriends, episode number 71, Big Life Changes with Haley Stewart. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week we're talking about motherhood and big life changes with Haley Stewart and we've got some feedback on loving yourself and on loving difficult in-laws. Here we go, let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? I hope you've had a good week. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be joining you again this week for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Here in New Hampshire, we are enjoying spring. How do I know it's spring? Because there are about a million peepers in our field. (laughs) If you don't know what peepers are, they're these springtime frogs, and they make a racket this time of year. We've got um, a little bit of a pond out in our field. It's kind of, um, it used to be the whole field would flood and Dan did a little excavation out there to kind of push it all into one area. So it's a little bit of a man-made pond area that we get during, mostly during the wet season. There's there's a little bit of it there year round, um, but mostly this time of year where there's a lot of mud. We get in, we're getting a lot of rain and the peepers love it. It's actually crazy. Um, a couple of years ago, I went out and made a recording of it because I just thought it was so insane how loud they are at night, <laughs> but it's such a great sound. It's such a welcome sound. I, I love how loud they are. It, and, um, my little guys are really enjoying it. And that's something that we've really appreciated. And I'm really grateful for living here, um, in New Hampshire as we do on a little bit of land. Um, We've got a little over 10 acres here and we're adjacent to a protected uh, wildlife forest area. Um, And having that much space around us and natural um, land is really a beautiful thing for kids. And uh, something I've been really grateful for over the years is the fact that my kids can and I force them to go outside, spend a little time in nature. We've got some trails in our woods. Our, our older kids still have forts that are in our woods. Um, each of them has their own little space that they've kind of carved out for themselves and put their own little mark on. And um, our younger kids are doing the same sorts of things. And it just brings back a lot of memories for me of our older kids going out and collecting frogs and watching the pollywogs or tadpoles, depending on which one you say, and catching snakes. And, you know, here in New Hampshire, we don't have poisonous snakes, so I don't have to worry about them. Um, I am certainly not going to pick up a snake, but if my kids want to, that's fine. They can do that. (laughs) So um, our younger guys are doing that, and my youngest one, Daniel, who's 10, is absolutely obsessed with getting animals out there. And we've so far um, had him make sure that he's releasing these animals, like maybe keeping them for an hour or so and observing them, but then letting them go. And we've talked to them a lot about, you know, being respectful of nature and treating animals properly. And that, you know, part of his responsibility is doing that. But he's just been really intent that he wants to keep some of these animals as absolutely as pets, you know. Um, And it made me remember, and he ended up talking to our oldest, Catery, about uh, when she kept a toad for uh, most of the summer and into the fall season before she let it go so that it could go outside and hibernate. Do they call it hibernating for toads? I don't know. Anyway, she had a big fat toad that she kept in a a terrarium. And uh, I think she named it Tokyo. And she would feed it Japanese beetles, sometimes uh, worms, uh, sometimes would buy some crickets for it as a special treat at the pet store. Um, It it was, she loved it. (laughs) She loved having this toad pet and she kind of talked it up to Daniel so um, he has spent his precious dollars on a a tank to put together for this toad that he's hoping to catch and put inside this tank and keep it Um, I know that it's possible to do and that it's not mean to the creature because of having done it in the past Um, I don't think that toad suffered at all in fact he he got pretty fat under Catery's care so um, Daniel is on the hunt now and hoping the weather's going to be just right for him to get himself a nice big fat toad to keep for a little while I told him he can't keep it over the winter because I don't know what that would do to the toad and 
really? I, I don't know. I don't need that in my house. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of animals come and go through this house, you know, hermit crabs and hamsters and turtles and outdoors. We've had chickens and pigs and ducks. And anyway, uh, a lot of life has kind of come through here and uh, toads, I guess we're getting ready for a new living resident, a new pet toad. Um, and I'll, I'll keep you updated when he gets one for his tank and let you know what he decides to name it. Um, never know. So anyway, I hope you're getting outside. You and your family are enjoying some spring weather. I saw somebody on Facebook who lives in Southern California post that it was 100 degrees there. So maybe uh, if you're in a hot area of the country, maybe it doesn't feel like spring. Maybe it feels like terrible summer right now, the heat of summer. Um, I can't even imagine. But um, yeah, wherever you are, I hope you're, you're enjoying some of the natural world outdoors. Okay, so this week, I, I told you I was working on getting an interview. And one of the people that um, some of you asked me to try and get on the show and I, I got a few different suggestions from people it was Haley Stewart and I followed her for a long time online um, you might know her from her blog Carrots for Michaelmas um, she's a great just a, a joy and an inspiration to follow online everything that she shares is so uplifting positive and just grace-filled. I, I love everything that she does. So I was thrilled that she was available to come on and I'm looking forward to sharing my conversation with her. So I hope you enjoy this chat that Haley and I recently shared about motherhood and life transitions and big changes in life. So um, I hope you'll be as inspired by her as I am. Take a listen. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends today. Haley Stewart is here with us. Haley is a writer, podcaster, speaker, and the voice behind the popular blog Carrots for Michaelmas. She co-hosts the Fountains of Carrots podcast and the Simple Show podcast and is a frequent guest on Catholic Radio. She lives in Central Texas with her three kids and her beekeeping husband. Welcome, Haley. I'm so excited that you're here with us. Thanks, Danielle. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I mean, so after following you online for, it feels like forever, but I guess it probably hasn't been that long because you're a lot younger than me. Um, you know, maybe to get us started here, Haley, maybe um, you can just share with us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get started in Catholic media and what led you to that in the first place? Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> if you had said 10 years ago that I would be a Catholic writer, blogger person. I would have thought you were insane because I wasn't even Catholic at the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it's hard. It's kind of like, it just fell into my lap through a bunch of different crazy things. So um, my husband and I grew up in Protestant Christian homes and, um, and then came to Baylor University, which is the largest Baptist university in the world. Mm -hmm. And that is where we found the church. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so kind of crazy. But um, so we became Catholic right after we graduated from college. Mm -hmm. um, we, let's see, we got married halfway through college, which was kind of People thought we were a little bit crazy. I was 20 uh -huh. and he was 21. Love it. And um, I, at that time, we were still Protestant, but kind of had encountered the church fathers through what we were reading in our classes. Mm -hmm. And um, over the next couple of years, a lot of our kind of barriers to even considering Catholic faith mm -hmm. were taken down as we actually learned the history of the church and what the church teaches. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we graduated, I think we knew we wanted to convert, but then um, it was we knew it was going to be hard for family members and for relationships with friends. So we just weren't like taking the plunge yet, even right. though we knew that's where we were headed. And then um, right after I graduated, I got pregnant with our first child. And that was when we were like, oh, we're going to have to get our baby baptized. Like we believe in infant baptism, like that this is salvific and really mm -hmm. essential. And so what are we going to do? Because our Baptist church does not baptize babies. Like that's right. not part of our tradition. 
Um, I think that's kind of what pushed us into starting RCIA um, is because we realized, oh, okay, we're going to be parents and we want to raise our child in the church. So um, that's kind of the very short version Mm -hmm. of how we became Catholic. And then I just started blogging, I guess, Right, right around the time we were converting, I was sending, you know, putting up baby pictures for the grandparents because we were living a few states away from any family members. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how I started writing. And then it just kind of grew from there. Um, I guess that was like seven years ago was when I started my blog. And it's just kind of grown from there and things have opened up. So I'm just kind of you know, on, on this journey, seeing what happens next. Yeah, I love that. You're open to the spirit where, <laughs> where it might take you. And um, that that is such a great story. And I, I love that you guys got married counterculturally in the middle of college. Um, I, I've known yeah. other couples who've done that. And people also said they were crazy, but you know, they're, they're still together. And yeah, um, it worked out for us. I know. It's always, it's funny. I'll have, sometimes I'll get emails or people ask me about like, you know, they'll say like, my daughter is really serious with her boyfriend and they're thinking about getting married, but they're only 22. And I'm like, I can't give you any advice. Like I can tell you what happened to me, but I don't know your, I don't know exactly. your daughter. I don't know your situation. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. Just tell her to get married. It'll go great. Right. Um, I know, <laughs> you, exactly. I know. It's so funny how people reach out to you like that with those kinds of questions and think, yeah, yeah. but you know, as, I am a fan of early marriage in, in a general sense. Um, yeah, and too. I've often said that, but now as my kids are that age, I'm starting to be very cautious about <laughs> <laughs> How I talk about it, not that, you know, the people they're dating or whatever that come into our lives aren't, aren't great, but you know, you're right. It's very specific. Like, um, is early marriage right for you? Well, who are you talking about? You know, like, yeah. who are you dating? Exactly. Maybe it is. Um, and you know, my husband and I, we didn't get married during college, but right as soon as I graduated college. So I was 22 and to me, you know, that was a, such a great grace and a blessing. Like, you know, it wasn't like we thought it through or anything. We were just like, we love each other and we want to get married and we want to have a family. Like, just kind of responding to that impetus. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing. Like, God's plan is sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. It's written into your desires. It's written into, you know, your life circumstances and what desires come from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it was kind of really fun to be dirt poor together as college <laughs> students. You know, like For we, sure. our first apartment, we didn't even have a bed because we couldn't afford a mattress. So we like bought an air mattress. And <laughs> That's what we slept on for like months. And then it started to, you know, they're not supposed to be used every day. So it would start to deflate in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And we were like in the middle of it, like oh punched together. And so we have to like <laughs> press the button to inflate it at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning and it go like, <laughs> as it was inflated oh again. But like, it was fine. You know, we were 20 and 21 and yeah, we had yeah. a great time. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And, it, you know, and I, I, I feel very similarly, not that we ever slept on an air mattress except when we were camping, but, um, you know, the kinds of struggles you go through and financial struggles for sure when you're starting out, that really bonds you. And, and not to say people can't get married and have a successful, wonderful, loving marriage, getting married later in life, but in my, you know, with my own personal experience, I feel like, oh, you're missing out. Like, because if you're well established and money's not an issue for you and you're getting married, like, in my experience, that's part of the process of kind of bonding together. Yeah, yeah. I All good memories. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and, you know, not that you take it back now, maybe you don't want to go right back to air mattress living, but um, (laughs) it was was fun. And it's fun to think about. That's great. Yeah. Um, Well, Haley, a little bit of what I want to talk to you about is um, life transitions that came to mind when I was thinking about having you on the show, because just from following you online, I've seen you go through so many. Um, You've already talked about some, you know, just the going from from single to married life, but also going from um, Baptist to to Catholic, which is huge. And then I'm also thinking along the lines of, you know, going from um, being a a married couple to being parents, you, you know, you know, you mentioned having your first child. And, um, when you think about, like, if you look back on, you know, your adult life so far, which of those transitions really stand out to you? And, you know, what, what have you learned from them? Yeah. Um, really, I think the biggest transition, well, 
I'll say the hardest transition of my life mm-hmm. was becoming a parent. Yeah. Um, cause I think maybe the biggest one was becoming Catholic. Um, but becoming a parent was just hard mm-hmm. and, and like good, very good, but very hard for me. I mean, I was, let's see, I was 23 mm-hmm. and I was just had, I was in my first job post-college. Um, I was working at the university in publications. Daniel was finishing up his degree and we lived in Texas and all of our extended family lived in Florida. Oh, gosh. Um, add on to that, that None of our friends had kids. None of our friends were even married. They were all, you know, 20 to 25. Yep. um, Single. And so as helpful as as they wanted to be and as supportive as they wanted to be, they just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't know what we needed. And I didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. Um, So it was a hard season. If I think back on like the hardest year of my life, that first year of parenthood was by far the hardest. And part of it was that, um, our first child was very colicky, very unhappy little baby. (laughs) Um, very, very cute, but, um, always crying and never sleeping. And so just that like emotional stress and physical exhaustion. I mean, just like almost hallucinating. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then add on to probably some postpartum depression. I I'm exacerbated by just being so tired and working full time and not being able to be with him all day Mm -hmm. was just really tough. And I think it was just such a learning curve. Um, and just not having other people around to know what, what does, what is it supposed to look like? Mm -hmm. Um, what do I need? What would be helpful? What would be, what would support me right now? Um, and then also just the brutal experience every parent goes through of this isn't your, your life doing whatever you want anymore. Right. All of your time, even when you get to sleep, is all um, at the mercy of this <laughs> tiny, you know, child that you that you love, but that, this is hard, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a good process because it's sanctifying us and bringing mm-hmm. us out of ourselves, right? But it hurts, you know. It's like absolutely a experience. So when I think about, you know, what was the biggest change in my life? I feel like that, that was it, or that has transformed me mm-hmm. in amazing ways. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to that, 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 however, whatever your circumstances are and whatever details of those circumstances, when you first become a mom, uh, that it is that kind of hardcore transition where it's going to be ugly and messy and uh, there's going to be a lot of like body fluids involved both both physically but <laughs> but also just speaking like emotionally it's messy yeah. and you know in a way you've never experienced before and I feel like that you know I look back on my first year after I became a mom which sounds very similar to yours because I did have a colicky infant she was a girl though and I did go back to work full-time and it was it was such a learning year. You're right that I can look back now and see what I needed, and you know, mm-hmm. and if I had a young person in my life going through that now, I'd know how to support them at least, you know, in some very yes. basic ways. But you're so right that in when you're living that, you don't even know what you need. You know, you're kind mm-hmm. of kind of floundering, and you're kind of just like looking for some place to you know find rest and to feel actually comfortable in your own skin. But I think it just is a natural part of the process that you're not going to be comfortable, not in that first mm-hmm. year that, and you got to, you got to kind of accept that. And then also just be open to receiving the support from other people. Absolutely. I remember, I, I felt like I was just always trying to get through the next few minutes of my life because I was so <laughs> tired and I, I just felt like it hurts to be awake, you know, like right. my body hurts mm-hmm. to be awake. Yeah. Um, and I remember one day, a friend came over. She was just very empathetic, like very like in tune with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just came over because I I had something I had to do. I can't even remember what it was, but um, I had something I had to do. And so she said, "Hey, I'm I'll come over and watch Benjamin." Mm-hmm. And so I was gone for a couple hours. And while she was watching the baby, she like cleaned up our house 
And she hung up a, a couple of pieces of art that she'd got from us because we hadn't had time to even like hang anything up on the yeah. wall and put flowers out. And I remember coming home and just like crying Aww. because it was so like meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. And like that was what I needed is someone to say like, hey, let me take care of you. Let me make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like let me like show you that I'm here for you. Right. And it was so meaningful. And I didn't – I wouldn't have known how to ask for that. Right. Yeah, you have no idea that that's what you needed. But she, what a beautiful yeah. friend. I love that your your friend did that for you. And, you know, that's inspiring to those of us that are a little further down the line and have some of that life experience to just, you know, remember what that was like and then, you know, yeah. potentially be that source of grace for somebody who's going through that right now. And they don't know how to ask for what they need because, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're going through that really uncomfortable, painful time. And and don't you think, Haley, that there's so much, you know, emotional turmoil involved in that becoming a mom? Like I know I, you know, I read all the books and I was going to be the perfect parent and it was all going to go like so beautifully. And and some of that did, you know, of course there's so many beautiful parts of it and so many parts that I, I thoroughly did enjoy and was grateful for. But I felt like there wasn't enough of people that shared with me the nitty gritty like mm-hmm. the the ugly part. I mean, I understand why. Like <laughs> maybe you don't want to go to the, you know, newly pregnant mom and be like, "Okay, <laughs> some parts of this are really going to stink," you know? Um, so I understand that, but I just remember feeling like almost betrayed by some of the other women in my life that you didn't tell me it was going to be this hard, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and maybe the internet um can serve that purpose today. Um, I didn't have it back when I was first becoming a mom, but, um, do you, do you find that the internet is a, is a source for that kind of real sharing between women? I do. And you know, it's, it's tricky because Mm -hmm. on the one hand, uh, at least I find it tricky as a blogger Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, I want to have a lot of authenticity and really share my heart. And on the other side of things, I don't want to be negative all the time. You know, I don't want to right. be focusing on the negative at all times. But I, I do think that when we when we use it right, it brings um, community, it fosters community mm-hmm. and it fosters empathy. And there have been many times where I've written something that was very raw about my experience as a mom or um, another area of my life. And it's just gotten a very strong response of people who said, oh, this, you could have been writing about me. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you wrote this. Right. Um, and so I think it is really helpful for those kind of things. Like my um, pregnancies are are really hard. I've had a couple of pregnancies um, where I've had hyperemesis, mm-hmm. um, which is like the very terrible, awful, beyond morning sickness kind of, kind of sickness. Yeah. Um, and I've, I, I'm not pregnant right now, but I've gotten involved in a couple of um, groups online of, you know, Catholic women who struggle with HG. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's, it's really helpful to see, oh, here, here's something that helped me, or here's someone going through a, a really, really rough couple of weeks and has been in the hospital and needs help. Um, and just being able to find like that little niche of people who do understand exactly what you're going through. Sure. Even if it's not face to face, it is really powerful. Right. Absolutely. And I think you're right. You know, with that caveat that it's not a perfect connection between people, but it does it does serve that purpose of mm-hmm. meet, meeting that need for real honesty. Um, and a part of what I, I find um, unhelpful about internet sharing is that sometimes, especially if you're like just blogging and, you know, putting it out there, it's going to reach the wrong audience, you know, um, mm-hmm. that you don't want to lay it all out there for certain kinds of people who are going to judge you for it or that are, you know, going to attack you for it or nitpick things or, you know, whatever. And yeah, the, the judges and the nitpickers are out there. I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that 
that sometimes that's that's part of the deal. Like, you know, if you're going to put it out there and, and I found myself hesitating to share certain things, sometimes sharing things and then regretting it later, um, not because of anything on my part, um, but be, because of, you know, it's, it reached the wrong set of ears. And, I you know, um, it's, hard yeah. to, it's hard to control that. Yeah, that's tricky. And um, like sometimes... I've seen that happen a lot where it's just something was written, you know, by me or by someone else. And it had a particular audience that it was designed for. Mm -hmm. And if you are not in that audience, that might just be the post that you say, well, this doesn't really apply to my situation and kind of move on. Or (laughs) you could (laughs) respond by getting very upset and writing rants in the comm box. But I I see that a lot between um, those who struggle with infertility and those who struggle with hyperfertility. Sure. You know, where someone will write a post about, hey, I've had six kids in five years and I am drowning and this is what my life looks like and it's really hard right now. Mm -hmm. And while the audience was kind of, you know, for – other people in that situation t- mm-hmm. to have some solidarity. Maybe someone who's feeling wounded from struggles with infertility says, well, hey, I wish I were in your boat, mm-hmm. which is is valid, but is that wasn't the point of that post. And, and it goes the other way too, where women are writing about their pain from inf- infertility and then someone who's struggling with having too many kids too quickly mm-hmm. is saying – well, it's really hard for me too. And instead of kind of validating saying, hey, that sounds like what you're going through is really hard. Let mm-hmm. me pray for you. Right. Trying to compare pain, it just doesn't really work. Right. Um, and it just makes it instead of, you know, supporting each other, it's this kind of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's something that does pop up on the internet. But, you know, a lot of times I also see I think it's when you have smaller, smaller groups online mm-hmm. you're and you're able to really kind of know those people, even if you haven't met them face to face, you're able to see like, okay, this person's struggles are really different than mine perhaps, mm-hmm. but that sounds really hard. Yeah. How can I support them? Um, and so I think that's the internet at its best and the internet at its worst is when we are so incapable of getting out of our own pain or our own lives that we can't. Um, appreciate someone else's experience. Right. Yeah, that's a really astute observation. I'm, I I found very, very similar experiences. And it does come down to that, that, um, you know, we need to have enough grace in, in a moment to say, this doesn't apply to me. This is mm-hmm. intended for a different audience. And, you know, and I know, you know, when you're in, a, when you're hurting, and when you're in a place of woundedness, it can be hard to just click away, you know, to just yes. say, this doesn't apply to me. But and, and it might be part of our, our culture too, our hyper self focused culture, like, why do we go online and expect that absolutely everything we read is going to be catered to our very unique needs? And, you know, like, I didn't previously have that expectation in the media that I would consume. You don't open up Time Magazine and think every every article is going to be a love letter written specifically for you. Um, <laughs> and, and yet, somehow, in in our internet experience, I think maybe because it is, it can be so tailored, and we can pick and choose what we'll consume online. That some of us do come to that place where we're offended when it's not directly addressing our situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very it's very fascinating. The internet. And how it affects how we think about the world is a very fascinating and crazy place. (laughs) It is. But I liked what you pointed out about smaller groups. Um, And I think that there's a real place for maybe like smaller Facebook groups um, Mm -hmm. and that kind of sharing. Because when you put something out on Twitter or on a blog post, that's kind of broadcasting to everyone. But if you have a select group... Um, I think that there really is an opportunity for people to, those become more like real people to you that you know mm-hmm. in real life, even if you've never met them. Um, I remember experiencing this on forums back in the day, um, pre-Facebook, where there was different Catholic mom forums. Then it felt like real community. And I know I received support and encouragement there and was able to offer it to others, even those whose life circumstances were very different from mine. Yes. I think that really... You know, I hate the idea that we're so isolated now, you know, like in our in our neighborhoods and right. um, 
we're not all hanging out with our neighbors and really having that strong community. Um, and so I don't want to ever close the door on that being an important thing to invest in because it's so important. But on the other hand, I, I think we're the whole, all of society is kind of transitioning from having this strong community and, and now we don't have it. Right. And so as we move back, I think it is helpful to have things like online Facebook groups for moms or for singles or, you know, people who can understand what you're going through and give you support mm -hmm. um, because we haven't figured out how to build up those in real life communities again yet. Right. And until we do, I think this is something that's really good. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and it's, it is an important point to make that there actually is not a replacement for those in real life connections and communities. And I, I know that's something that's close to your heart. Um, in, in the past, I, I've thought about it and I've spoken about it as kind of a difference between real food and fast food <laughs> where, yeah. you know, like you, you, and not to say that online relationships can't be real. Um, I've had many of them transition into real life relationships where I actually talk to people or visit with people. Um, but, you know, if you're just going to Facebook to, to connect and get a few likes or post something on Instagram and, you know, have that instant gratification of people liking your photo or leaving comments or whatever, that that's a, that's fast food for your, your soul. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. not actually in the long term. It's it's not um, nutritional. You know, it's not what's going to feed you. And what's really going to feed you are those in real life relationships. So we, we need to be careful not to be tempted to pick the easy option um, over making the effort in real life. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's tricky to form those in real life communities um, kind of organically. Like it, it's almost like they have to just happen right? because it's hard to um, program them, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it's just... Yeah it's, yeah, it's difficult, but I think it's something that everybody is yearning for. I, I think you're right. I think more so than ever, where people are kind of connected to their phones all the time, that we really do, we need a physical connection with our surroundings. Um, and uh, maybe this is a good time to talk with you a little bit about your um, transition to more natural living. I, I know that you've kind of gone through a transition with regard to that. And I know um, now now your family kind of lives this this natural life and your, your husband, the beekeeper and the farmer. Um, <laughs> do, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that and how that relates to real life community in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I guess three years ago, we were living in Florida. We moved back to be closer to family, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And we were living in Florida and we had a little house kind of in midtown Tallahassee. And um, things were good, but my husband, living expenses are high there. Mm -hmm. And my husband was having to work a job that he did not love. Yeah. <laughs> he was, um, testing prison software. So it was about as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> and, um, that is just so not him. But when we had moved back to Tallahassee, the job market was just really bad. It was kind of right after the recession had sure. started. Um, and so it was hard to get unstuck from this job he was in, mm -hmm. um, without needing to make a big change. And so we were kind of drowning in babies for a few years. We had our first in Texas and then we had two like back to back when we got to Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was not the time to make a big life change because right. we were trying to stay alive. Um, <laughs> but then I guess after our third was um, about a year old, we started kind of bouncing some ideas around about, you know, this is not sustainable for you to work 10 hours a day doing something that you really hate. You know, mm -hmm. this is not a good thing. Um, and so how can we help our family to thrive and really do live a life that's closer to the life we want to be living? And so um, Daniel and I were brainstorming and we remembered this farm outside of Waco where we went to college, where we had volunteered a lot Mm -hmm. when we were in college, um, called the world hunger relief farm. And it's basically a, it's a faith-based nonprofit training farm, mm -hmm. um, training in sustainable agriculture. Cool. And my husband has always wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> it's great. his heart of hearts. <laughs> so, um, but we were 
thinking, okay, we do not have the resources to purchase a farm, nor do we have the training to successfully run a farm. So if we did buy a farm, it would fail right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought, okay, this would be a really great opportunity to intern at this farm and get the training we need and kind of discern how we want to bring that into our future. Mm -hmm. Um, So he applied to the internship out there and it basically works that you come and live on the farm and you get food from the farm Mm -hmm. and you get like a a little teeny tiny stipend to help you with health insurance. Um, So we sold our house in Tallahassee and got rid of most of our stuff because we were moving to a teeny tiny 650 square foot apartment with our three kids (laughs) on the farm and moved out there and um, lived in community. Like we had our own little apartment, little family housing. And then there were some other little apartments for families and then a dormitory for singles. Um, so we lived on the farm with um, – I feel like when the most people were there, it was probably like 30, 30 people living on the farm. Wow. Um, and Daniel did a livestock internship for 13 months and now um, – now that that's over, he is staff on the farm. Okay. So um, we had a really amazing experience. I mean, we did not have a flushing toilet for 13 months because they <laughs> don't do flushing toilets on the farm. They're all compost toilets. Wow. And, um, you know, it's a transition to learn to cook completely seasonally. You know, like what mm-hmm. veggies we have, that's what we eat. Um, you don't have a lot of choices in what ingredients you're going to work with. It's just, here's what we have today. Right. Um, and then just the awesome experience of having our kids be on the farm, be around the farm, um, kind of grow up that year learning all about what's going on. Um, and having a bunch of other really fascinating people to talk to. My oldest is like extreme extrovert. Yeah. Um, And so it was very helpful for me. I mean, I'm an extrovert too, but he kind of takes it to another level. Um, (laughs) It was very helpful for me to have other adults around for him to talk to. You know, I could be like, looks like so-and-so needs some help with the rabbits. Oh my gosh. Um, But he just ate it up. And so, yeah, it was a really great experience, um, both living in community, which always has its pros and cons and mm-hmm. challenges and benefits sure. um, because people are flawed and are always difficult to live with, just like <laughs> your family members are difficult to live with, you exactly. know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but very, very wonderful experience. Um, and did, I feel like did teach us a lot about simple living and about um, just how much of what we have really is unnecessary. You know, mm-hmm. that I very much enjoy my flushing toilet that I have now. Right. But it was really fine to live without one for 13 months. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing where, you know, things we think are even like essentials. Yeah. You can live without them and be happy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I love that because so much about what you've just shared is exactly that, like kind of a challenge to our culture that you can so live without that. And that is not a basic necessity of life. In fact, you know, 90% of the world's living without it, you know, these things that we consider essential. So beautiful lesson and a beautiful way to teach your children those same lessons. Yeah, yeah, it was a great experience for them. And we're, I'm so glad that Daniel is still working there because we can go spend a lot of time out there and still really be connected to that community, mm-hmm. even though we're not living on the farm right now. Right, right. So um, so he's working there full time and mm-hmm. you're full time at home, but, you know, part time working through your blogging and your writing. Um, was there ever a time where you had a different kind of balance or considered a different kind of balance? Because I know people are really curious about there's so many different ways for families to support themselves these days and many different creative yeah. options. Um, I know you've taken advantage of some using on online resources and ways of reaching people. But how did you come to the balance you are at right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And we did a lot of discerning over the past couple of years. Because you know, when I first became a mom, I was working full time. And that was not the right balance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really missed 
time with the kids, but also just it's it's just very hard. And my hat is off to working moms because when do you go to the bank to deposit a check? You know, right. when do you go? It's like there's <laughs> you're working all day and then of course you want to spend any other waking hours with your child. And then when do you do laundry? You know, it's just right. hard. And so um we tried that out and that was not my favorite. And so <laughs> then I was home um most of the time and just working very part time as a ballet teacher when we were in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And um, then that kind of transitioned. I eventually stopped doing that after about three years and focused more on writing and blogging. Um, And then when the internship was wrapping up and we were trying to discern job opportunities for Daniel or maybe what I should do, we did consider me um, working from home full time Mm -hmm. and having Daniel be stay-at-home dad because – he is excellent at that. Like if I go out of town for a speaking event, I come home and like the house is so clean and he's like <laughs> made a welcome home pie and the children oh are like gosh. smiling and they've had all this fun. He is like definitely the fun parent. That's so that great. is something to be considered. But I realized that that I think that would be too much time mm-hmm. um, away from the kids and that I do – as much as I do need time away, you know, we homeschool. Mm-hmm. And so we're, t- there's a lot of family togetherness. Sure. <laughs> and it can get overwhelming, you know, so I, I do need um, some of that time away. And I, right now, um, the kids have a mother, a mother's helper or a gal who watches some of the kids on the farm. And we do that a couple mornings a week so I can have like those blocks of time mm-hmm. to just work. And that really helps me keep my sanity and um, not feel too like torn in too too many directions when I'm at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is working for us right now. But I think our ideal would be both of us working a little more than half time Mm -hmm. Um, because Daniel loves what he's doing right now, um, but also would like to be more involved in homeschooling and um, have a little bit more time in the home, you know, with, with the kids, a little bit more home centered life. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are right now. I'm, I really, I really like the balance right now. Um, And if anything was more ideal, it would just be that Daniel didn't have to work quite so many hours, but because it's a nonprofit and, you know, nonprofits can't pay a lot of overtime because they're always trying to make ends meet. Um, he can't really work more than 40 hours a week, which is actually really nice. That's a blessing, Um, right? Because he really, he has to clock out because there's just not that extra, um, in the budget for them to, to pay him overtime. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we've discerned for us. I Mm -hmm. love working from home and working for myself because of how flexible it is. And if one of my kids is throwing up, I can just drop everything and Mm -hmm. cancel everything I was planning to do because I'm in control of when I do it. Um, And that really is um, kind of ideal for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love, I love watching the way that you, you do handle that, um, you know, through what you share online. And I think it's a real inspiration to people that we don't, we don't live in the same world that many of us were raised in and options are different now. And the Uh. ways, the ways in which families can figure out how to pay the bills, like there's no, there's no morality to that, you know, (laughs) like where I think sometimes in in certain circles that I've been involved in, especially early on in my married life, there, there was that kind of almost judgment um, about who's supposed to stay home full time with the kids and women who work and that kind of thing. And I, I feel like with, with today's world where communication is easier than ever and it's easier than ever to be able to work from home. I mean, I'm working from home full time in a way I never even would have understood how it worked, like you know, and yeah. early on. And um, so, I mean, what what a blessing that is. And I think it's really inspiring to other families, young families that you know are still trying to figure that out. Like, what's this going to look like for us? That there are lots of different options, and there's no one right way. In fact, there's no one right way for any one family. Like, it's constantly shifting. Absolutely. No, I think that's so wise and. It's such a tricky thing to navigate because, yeah, we all know that kids need time with their parents. You know, mm-hmm. nobody is questioning that. But how families 
pay their bills and make it work is is just going to look different depending on, you know, the temperament of of different family members yes. and gifts of different family members. And yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing to navigate, but I am so grateful that really with the internet there's just it's just a game changer mm-hmm. for for me to be able to homeschool my kids and work from home and help support my family. I mean, that's just something women couldn't have done right. 20 years ago. Right. I know. Um, so it is kind of kind of amazing. And I think working from home, one parent or the other parent um, is a good solution to the problem of it's really hard to make it on one income. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really tough, even if you're very, very frugal. Mm-hmm. Um And so it seems like a good solution to having a parent be around while also being able to pay your mortgage. Yeah, which is awfully nice, you know. Yeah. We we don't want to we don't want to understate the importance of that of um, getting that mortgage bill paid. Um and and you know what I find too is that um even though when we started out, you know, my intention was always just to be an at-home mom full time. I I didn't have career aspirations early on. And um, and Dan, you know, my husband, Dan, always worked full time in the beginning there and I was home full time. But I find that now that we're both doing both and, you know, to different degrees and it changes throughout um, the different seasons and what else is going on in our lives, that it takes the pressure off of each of us. Because when you're mm-hmm. a full time at home parent, there's a lot of pressure there. And when you're the full time breadwinner, 100% on you to, to pay the bills, there's a lot of pressure there too. So I, yes. I find it's really been a help to my marriage in a lot of ways that we can kind of see each other's perspectives better and can ease each other's burdens in a way that we weren't able to when we had a more limited perspective. Yeah, that's such a good point. And when you said that about um, the burden of being, you know, the one breadwinner, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that made me not want to, you know, when we were discerning whether I should be the one to work full time. Right. um, That's one of the things that made me discern. I don't know that I want to do that because I think that would cause me so much stress and anxiety. I'm like, it's all up to me. You know, it is nice to be able to share that and figure out, okay, well, we'll have this paycheck coming in here and then I'll work on this project here and Mm -hmm. together it'll all work out. you know. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. Because I think it just it fosters more of a team mentality. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, and not that there's anything wrong with one person working full time and one person at home full time. I mean, for many people, that's the ideal. And that's the way that works best for them. But what I found was a limitation of it was that, you know, the temptation is to, to start to compare and think, oh, he's got it so great. I'm the one who's really suffering here. Or, you know, vice versa, where he's mm-hmm. thinking she's just sitting around all day, and I'm stressed out at work. Um, she doesn't appreciate me that kind of thing. Um, I, I find that the more you take on different roles and kind of share each other's burdens, that it kind of eliminates that kind of competition. That's such a good point. And I think that that's something that's so tough to navigate in marriage, especially when you're, you've got all little kids. Yeah. Um, because like, I remember like I would count down the minutes until Daniel would get home <laughs> I know. for dinner when, when he was working, you know, like 10 hours a day at this software company. And of course he had not been enjoying his 10 hours. No. You know, he was had been sitting in front of a computer kind of miserable for 10 hours. So he gets home and I'm like, thank God you're home. I'm right. going to go take a bath, you know, <laughs> and he's happy to see the kids, but also exhausted from his work day. Yes. And so it was just like, oh, like how do we even, yeah, I felt very like I was comparing my, you know, you've just been relaxing all day while I, I have been running around like crazy taking care of these kids. <laughs> so I, but I think that's hard no matter what your situation is when you're transitioning into parenthood. It's hard to figure out how to become a team Absolutely. and not be, not be kind of comparing and competing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely true. And, and nothing has blessed my marriage more than coming to more of a place where we, we are a team. Like, mm-hmm. how, how are we going to raise these kids together? How are we going to educate these kids together? How are we going to pay these bills together? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more that you can come around to that way of thinking, and, you know, it's natural in the beginning to be self-focused and individualistic and independent, but that's one of the beautiful things about marriage, I think. It, it breaks you down from that and make, turns you to really do become one. 
Absolutely. Yes. That's why that's why God designed it this way. You know, that we kind of if we're if your vocation is to marriage, then this is the path God is gonna use to help you get rid of that selfishness, to help sanctify you. Right. Um and it's just it works through all of that hard work of learning how to be married. So true. So true. God had a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it worked out great. Um, well, Hallie, before we have to go here, I just want to give you one last chance to maybe give a shout out to um, listeners to check out your blog. Where can they go to find out more about you and everything that you're doing online? Sure. Well, you can head over to my blog, which is carrotsformicklemas.com. And that's just spelled like Michael M-A-S. So carrotsformicklemas.com. And then I also co-host the Fountains of Carrots podcast with Christy Isinger, and that is a lot of fun. So you can find that at fountainsofcarrots.com. And then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram where I'm at Haley Carrots. Nice. Okay. So we'll find you online, all the (laughs) awesome things you're doing and the beautiful photos you're sharing of your family life and farm life and all the beautiful balance that you've got going on there. Thank you so much, Haley, for coming on today and spending some time sharing a little bit about your life and your perspective. And and thanks for the, the great example and encouragement you give to us all. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Danielle. I really appreciate it. All right. God bless you. Take care. Bye bye. So thanks again to Haley for coming on. And if you haven't already, you'll definitely want to check out everything that she's sharing online because there's there's so much more. And she's just truly one of those inspiring people in a beautiful and encouraging way. Okay, I also want to share some feedback this week that I got regarding the cry room that we talked about last week where um, we were talking about the importance of on both sides of the cry room debates, extending grace to the other person. Well, um, Mary Alice sent me a thoughtful email. I'm just going to read it to you here. She says, hi, Danielle. I have a few thoughts about the cry room. When my husband and I had four children under four, Sunday mass was the hardest part of our week. Our church did not have a cry room and we would have a cycle. One infant twin would start to cry and one parent would go out. Then another twin would start to cry and the other parent would have to go out, bringing along the toddler and the preschooler. Before we knew it, six of us were pacing on the sidewalk, not even in the church, and we would wonder, why are we even here? (laughs) A good priest reminded me at the time that our mass is our offering to God, so I could offer my time pacing on the sidewalk if that was what I had to do. I could read the readings at home. For a while, we just muscled through this way, but it was exhausting. We tried to alternate attending daily mass alone some days so that we'd have a chance to pray in peace. At our next parish, when the twins were two, I actually had a priest ask me to stop attending daily mass because my kids were too noisy. That may have been an all-time low. Oh my gosh. Eventually, we moved to the suburbs and we had parishes with two options. One ran a children's nursery in the school during Mass. Hooray! That was a dream come true. Another local parish had a cry room. I have to say that some of the best Masses of my life were spent in the cry room, nursing a baby or letting a crawler move around on the floor. I found that I could actually participate in the Mass. I think you were right on about extending grace to the other. Eventually, we learned that one parent would sit close to the front to educate and engage the kids who are about four and up and the other parent might have to be prepared to step out of mass to a cry room or vestibule or sit closer to the back. We've learned that dressing up a bit for mass helps with behavior, that bringing food or toys actually makes the children louder and more disruptive and that gradually they can learn but it's really hard to have a child who's under three stay reasonably quiet for an hour. Now that my children are mostly at a different stage, I wonder if you have some suggestions for resources on apologetics for teens. My kids are in the world in school and they would like to be able to do a better job of explaining their beliefs. They encounter friends who say, for example, that it is just as good to pray at home as also attend mass, or who think that confession with a priest is being controlled by a patriarchy, and even some wrong thinking about idealistic young people who favor a socialistic socialist political system as a more Christian way of distributing wealth. Thanks, Mary Alice. Thank you, Mary Alice, for that very thoughtful email. And I think um, younger parents in a different stage of parenting than you are now have a lot to learn from what you shared about your experience. And um, even just knowing that other people have been there can be kind of a shot in the arm. And you have gotten through it and things did get better and it was really hard for a while. I think sometimes that's all we need to kind of hear to get through some of our tough times. As for your last question, I'm going to throw that out to listeners. Um, For sure, uh, I know of a number of different resources, and maybe I'll put them together to share in a future podcast um, about ways to talk to our teens, um, to encourage our teens and support our teens who are interested in 
discussing their faith with their peers. I, I so admire young people who do that. I was very shy and quiet and introverted when I was that age, and I certainly wasn't going around engaging other people in apologetics of any kind, but some of my kids have, and I've just been really inspired by their example. Um, so I'll put together some resources, but I want to invite listeners to, to share with me some of what they found helpful with their teens, um, maybe to help educate their teens or just encourage and support their teens living out a faith-filled life in a largely secular world. It's a tall order and um, we got to be praying for our kids. So thank you for that, Mary Alice. I appreciate your your feedback and you taking the time to email. Hey, Danielle. Um, This is Lynn Smith. I just wanted to thank you so much for the podcast that you've been recording. Um, I've been listening to them in my walks and, and, uh, you know, I just really am very deeply touched that you take the time to do these podcasts. And, um, and to be honest, I don't even really understand, you know, totally why you do it. I'm amazed. Um, I have been reading your blog, you know, for a long time since back in the day and, they meant, you know, the blog posts meant a lot to me then, um, you know, as a mom to a little little baby and a young boy, now a teenager. And, and, you know, it just really means a lot to me that you take the time to do this. And, you know, I'm just absolutely amazed. All the personal stuff that you share about your life, um, you have no idea. I mean, maybe you do, <laughs> you probably do have an idea, but I wanted you to know, you know, it really uh, means so much that you share these very personal details about your life as a Catholic mom. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for that encouragement to continue doing what I'm doing and the encouragement that you appreciate what what I'm sharing here at Girlfriends and what I shared in the past on the blog. And just a real quick answer to why I do it. Um, I can't, I can't not do it. I feel compelled to share because I know that there's so much value in connecting in a real way with other women and that we have a lot to gain as wives, as moms, as Catholic women to be honest and open with one another, sometimes share some of those personal details, sometimes share um, some of, of the ways that we struggle, some of the ways that we personally feel challenged in living out our lives, because it's uniquely joyful to live out a Catholic family life, but it's also uniquely challenging. And the more we can connect and share about that, the more we can all be encouraged. And I've reaped the benefits of other people's sharing. And so I do feel compelled to share. And I'm so glad you're out there listening. Thank you for that feedback. Okay, next up, I have an email from Erica, who had some advice for Andrea, who, well, actually more like a question, a little bit of a thoughtfulness about Andrea, who is struggling with her mother-in-law, who is kind of questioning her life choices in unpleasant, uncomfortable ways, <laughs> challenging her and her husband with regard to their decisions about their family size and their decision to use NFP. Um, so Erica says, you had such beautiful advice for Andrea in dealing with her mother-in-law. I love the NFP podcast, and I can't begin to tell you the discussion it has started within my tight-knit group of Catholic girlfriends to open up support for each other and between my husband and I. I did want to suggest and or ask Andrea if she's ever taken the time to explain why the church believes in NFP and the beauty of our faith's stance in life. She mentioned her mother-in-law wasn't Catholic, so I just wondered if it was coming from a place of not truly fully understanding, as well as a place of love and with the way society and culture shapes our thoughts on family sizes and contraception. Thank you, Erica, for that thoughtful feedback. Um, And I think it's a good point that sometimes these challenges that we face and the discomfort that we face inside of our relationships with people who don't share our faith are really opportunities to share the faith with those people or provide a little bit of an explanation. You don't have to be an apologetics expert or be ready to launch into an NFP course or something, but you know, just open that window a little bit, open that opportunity for them to begin to learn a little bit about why the church teaches what it does, because you're right, Erica, it's beautiful teaching. And it's really, um, the church's teaching on sexuality and marriage is not a big fat no the way society sometimes paints it, but it's a big yes, a big yes to joy and beauty and true freedom inside of marriage and our our sexual lives. So um, a great opportunity and great advice for Andrea, who I hope is listening. 
Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Hey, Danielle, David, um, just listen to your show about loving yourself. You're so funny. Uh, <laughs> asking about how new agey it sounds. I agree. Uh, it's somewhat off-putting, but it's extremely important. You did a bang-up job. Uh, really just wonderful, like almost an examination of conscience, just in terms of thinking about these things, your point, especially about um, how often do you compare yourself to others is... Uh, well, very well said. Thank you for that. Uh, I hope everything's going well uh, and baseball season's going good. Talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, and hooray for Dan, uh, if it's really him that's supporting you guys as well. I'm trying to spread the love. So uh, take care. Bye. Thank you, David, for uh, chiming in again. David uh, is a honorary guy friend here on Girlfriends. And um, in, if you didn't hear it at the end there, he was giving a shout out to Dan, who was a Patreon supporter of Girlfriends that he's hoping I believe, is another male listener coming out of the closet, admitting that he listens to and enjoys the Girlfriends podcast. And if you want to leave feedback like David and Erica and Lynn have this week and Mary Alice, you can always email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. I'd love to hear what you think about these topics and others that we've shared about, especially here talking with Haley on the podcast today about early motherhood in particular and life transitions. If you've got thoughts to share on that, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. You can connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is in the show notes at daniellebean.com. Or you you can click over to daniellebean.com and click that little side tab that says leave voicemail and it's an easy way right from your phone or from your computer with no special equipment. You can leave a voicemail. I'd love to add your voice to a future episode of Girlfriends. And now I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up for another week for another episode of Girlfriends. Thanks so much for all the ways that you connect with me and encourage me and all that we share here at Girlfriends. I'm just so grateful that you're a part of what I do here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth, find your joy.